Welcome to the One God Report podcast. This is Bill Schlegel. Before we get going, just a thank you to David in Massachusetts and also to David's brother, whom I don't even know your name, but my son and I thank you for your generosity. This is episode number 87, Different Creations in the Bible and Which Creations Jesus Was Involved in. Many people are somewhat surprised that there's more than one or two different creations in the Bible. I'm actually going to describe six different creations in the Bible, and we'll think a little bit about which ones of these creations Jesus was involved in. Always interested in John chapter 1, where we see things are coming to be. Is this the Genesis creation, or is it a different creation than the Genesis creation? I know as a Trinitarian, I knew about the Genesis creation, and I knew there was also kind of a new creation, like Paul described, if any man is in Christ, new creation, or in the book of Ephesians, where Paul describes that through Jesus, he has created one new man in the place of the two. We'll get to that creation too, but I didn't know about other creations that the Bible describes only vaguely or in sort of a foggy way. And I think there is some overlap between these different creations. Maybe you can't make totally strict categories between these six I'm going to describe. But on the other hand, there are some differences, and there is a reason to categorize them differently. So let's look at these six different creations in the Bible, and there may even be more. I might not have them all here. I'm going to base some of my comments from a commentary on the book of Psalms, written by Alan P. Ross, published by Kriegel. It's the second volume, starting on page 191, where the commentator is commenting on Psalm chapter 51, where David prays to God and says, Create in me a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. So the commentator talks about this word create. It's bara in Hebrew, betresh aleph. And he notes that in the active sense, the word create is only used of God. God's the only one in the Bible that's the subject of this verb create. And then he lists a couple of different categories of creation. The first one is this, quoting now from page 191. The main category concerns the creation of the universe and all its contents. The texts all reveal that God's creative works are incomparable and whatever was created is perfect. For example, he created the universe. Let me interrupt the quotation briefly to note the third-person singular pronoun, he. Even though this writer is a Trinitarian, he says that God, in the singular, he created the universe. One person. He created the universe. Okay, the commentary continues. The contents of Genesis 1 and corroborative statements such as that found in Psalm 33.9 explain that the means of this creation was the divine decree. Isaiah also says that Yahweh created the heavens, Isaiah 42.5, the stars, 40.26, and the ends of the earth, chapter 40, verse 28. The psalmist affirms that God created the north and the south, 89.12. Furthermore, Amos says he, once again singular, he created the wind. And Isaiah 45, 7 says he created darkness. Scripture stresses 
that humans are exclusively the product of God's creative act. I'm going to stop and put in my little editorial comment there for a second. If you're a human, you're created. If you're fully human, you are a created being, right? According to this commentator. Humans are exclusively the product of God's creative act. Now back to the commentator. The verb itself does not describe creation out of nothing in some of these passages. For God formed man from the dust of the ground. It was a shaping and transforming of dust into a body that the word summarizes. End quote. Okay, so that's his first point. The creation by one singular God, he, of all things, including human being. So if you're a human being, you're a creation. You're part of creation. You're not uncreated if you're a real human being. Okay, now let's go back and look at the second category of how and when this word create is used in the Bible. Number two, quoting again from now page 192. A second category of meaning refers to the establishment of the nation of Israel. Yahweh is the creator of Israel, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 15. The same meaning appears to be the point of Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Quote, has not one God created us? By the way, that's El Echad. One God, singular God, singular El. And also Malachi there says, do we not all have one father? Commentators disagree as to if that one father is perhaps Abraham or Jacob, or if that as well is a reference to God. Malachi does say that all of Israel are the sons and daughters of God. God is Israel's father. Remember, Yahweh God declared, Israel is my firstborn son, Exodus 4.22. Now he continues, not only does the verb describe the formation of the nation, but also the inclusion of individual believers within it. Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. Isaiah 43.7 The category does not indicate creation out of nothing, because God formed the nation out of people. Unquote. Okay, that's the second category. That God is the creator of the people of Israel. And if you want to go to one chapter to see this, you can read Isaiah chapter 43. I'll plan to come back to that chapter in just a little bit. Let's look at the next categories. The third category of creation. Reading from our commentator again. A third category of meaning concerns transformation or the renewal of things. That the action is the transformation of something that already exists can be seen from each of the contexts. Isaiah records, I create new heavens and a new earth, Isaiah 65, 17. In the same context, he adds, I am about to create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people as a joy, Isaiah 65, 18. According to the prophet, nature also will be renovated, Isaiah 41, 18 to 20. Unquote. So the word create can refer to renewal of things or persons that already exist. Not necessarily creation ex nihilo, from nothing, but renewal. Now to this category of the renewal of things, I might add a couple of New Testament verses. For instance, in Romans chapter 8, Paul expresses his expectation of this renewal. 
chapter 8, verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but of the will who subjected it in hope, because creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in travail together until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there is a renewal not only of of humans, but also of creation. And to the biblical authors, this renewal is a creation, a recreation. 2 Peter 3.13 describes the expectation of this renewal of creation. Peter writes that according to God's promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then, perhaps we might put into this category of the renewal of all things the Lord God's declaration in Revelation 21, although like I say, there's some overlap, because this may specifically be talking about renewal of people too. But here, the Lord God, the one who sat on the throne, said in the book of Revelation 21.5, Behold, I make all things new. He also said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. He makes all things new. Now, a fourth category that this commentator didn't mention on the use of the word create, he was focusing more specifically on the creations in the Old Testament. But there is a new creation more specifically described in the New Testament that describes the creation of new authority structures. I'm thinking especially of the book of Colossians chapter 1, where we hear that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is a creation. He's the firstborn over the new creation. And I say new because Paul describes, for through him all were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible. This is not the material creation. As Paul continues to describe, he says exactly what he means by the things that are being created here. He says, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All were created through him and for him. So this is a creation that is specifically a new authority structure, with the man Christ Jesus being exalted to heaven about 2,000 years ago and placed at the right hand of God. The authority structures in heaven and on earth have been recreated. This is a new creation. I didn't understand this when I was a Trinitarian. As Trinitarians, they look at Colossians chapter 1 and they think this is talking about the material, physical creation. But you can see that it's not. This is talking about the creation of new authorities, a new authority structure. Now Christ Jesus is given all authority in heaven and earth at the right hand of God. The same idea Paul was talking about in Ephesians, which is a parallel letter to Colossians, where Paul talks about Jesus and how God raised him from the dead. This is Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20. God raised him from the dead and made him, that's Christ, sit at his, that's God's, right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
This is what Paul was talking about as well in Colossians, a new authority or power structure, which God created when he raised the man Christ Jesus from the dead and had him sit at God's own right hand. Then, a fifth way in which there's a creation in the Bible, this is the one that the author is looking at here in Psalm chapter 51, where he says, and I'll read again from the commentary, the word, that's create, bara, can also be used for spiritual renewal. Psalm 51.10 fits here, for the word create is actually paralleled with renew, renew in me an upright spirit. Renew is in parallel with create in Psalm 51.10. So the author kind of sums up and he says the word is used exclusively for the activity of God in which he fashions something new and pristine. And then a sixth creation in the Bible, which the author, again, he didn't get into because it was more specifically talking about Old Testament, But we should mention at least one other, that's a creation in the Bible, and that's the new creation of one new man between Jew and Gentile. And here I'm thinking of verses like Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And Ephesians 2.15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, that is, between Jew and Gentile. So there are are the at least six creations in the Bible, and we should ask the question, which of these was Jesus involved with? And I know as a Trinitarian, like I mentioned, that I was confused about this because I did not clearly understand these different categories of creation. So the Trinitarian mind, when he sees the word creation or anything that has to do with something coming to be, the Trinitarian mind goes to the book of Genesis. The Trinitarian sees that Jesus was or is involved in some kinds of coming to be or creation in the New Testament, but the Trinitarian mind would bring Jesus back into Genesis and somehow think that Jesus was present and involved in the Genesis creation. Not understanding these different categories of creation that are in the Bible. So which of these creations is Jesus involved in? And then I would also like to think, which one of these creations is the emphasis of the prologue of the Gospel of John and, in general, of the Gospel of John? Well, I think my answer to the question, which of these creations Jesus is involved in, I would say that he probably is involved to a certain degree in all of them except for the first one, which is the original creation of the physical world described in Genesis chapter 1. He was also not there for the original formation of the people of Israel, but we see in the prophets the expectation of the regathering of Israel, the reformation of Israel, being a kind of creation, a new creation. And I'm showing my hand already. It's the formation or the reformation of the people of Israel that the Gospel of John is really about. 
more on that in just a second. But I think as well, Jesus has a role in these other creations. So like I say, there is some overlap. It's a little bit difficult to entirely differentiate between the renewal of Israel and the renewal of creation or the renewal of other human beings. So there is some overlap. Now what I'd like to do, I would like to take a look at the book of Isaiah chapter 43 to see how the formation of Israel or the renewal of the people of Israel, the expectation that the people of Israel had for a renewal of them as God's chosen people, as God's children. Remember, Israel is called God's firstborn son. So Israel is God's child, God's sons and daughters, God's children. How that creation, the creation of Israel, is just as much the backdrop, if not more so, for the prologue of the Gospel of John as the Genesis creation. And let me show you what I mean just by reading a few verses in Isaiah chapter 43, which starts out, But now thus says Yahweh, Who created you, O Jacob? Who formed you, O Israel? See how we have a creation going on here? This is not the Genesis creation. This is the creation of the people and the nation of Israel. And so many times in this chapter, there's a focus on how one God is the creator of Israel. Not more than one person, but one God. We have the personal pronoun I over and over again, like verse 3. Yahweh says, for I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel. Or if we skip down to verse 11, Yahweh says, I, I am Yahweh. I declared and saved and proclaimed. Verse 13, I am God. I work and who can hinder it? Verse 15, I am Yahweh, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. Now, if pronouns mean anything, there's not more than one person, one divine figure being involved in the creation or the formation of Israel. I is one person, not two, not three. I am Yahweh, your Holy One, the creator of Israel. That's verse 15 in Isaiah chapter 43. And yes, while God created Israel through Abraham, then Jacob, and then at the Exodus and Sinai, there is an aspect of renewal or redemption even, recreation. And it involves God bringing back the people of Israel out of exile, a regathering. Yahweh says in verse 5, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather them. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You see how Israel is the firstborn son of God? Israel are the children of God. And there's a regathering here. So it's a reformation of Israel, a renewal of Israel, a kind of creation, a recreation. If we turn to the Gospel of John for a moment, it's interesting to note how often God is called the Father in the Gospel of John. Not so much in Mark, some in Luke as well, and more so in Matthew, but in the Gospel of John, tens of times. 
God is called the Father. Listen to a couple of verses from the book of Deuteronomy and see how knowledge of these verses might influence a Jewish person's understanding of the Gospel of John. For instance, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1, where Yahweh says through Moses, speaking to Israel, You are the sons of Yahweh, your God. Or in Deuteronomy 32, verse 6, where Moses is chastising Israel, he says, Is not he, Yahweh, your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Oh, Yahweh is Israel's father, and Israel is Yahweh's son, Yahweh's unique son. Could it be that God is so often called the father in the Gospel of John because the Gospel was written especially for Jews who knew that God is their father? And that one theme of John's Gospel is the reformation of the people of God, the sons and daughters of God, the people of Israel. Now back to Isaiah chapter 43, note verse 7 of Isaiah. Yahweh says, You are called by my name, everyone whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. See, this is a different creation. This is not the Genesis creation. This is the creation and the formation of the sons and daughters of God, the people of Israel. Yahweh continues in verse 19 of Isaiah 43. He says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Okay? Yahweh does a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And Yahweh speaks in verse 20, Of my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself. See, the creation of Israel is the topic here. Now let me just turn to the Gospel of John and note some of the same themes from Isaiah chapter 43. Yeah, there are some themes as well from Genesis because this is a new creation. The same God who created in Genesis is the one who is recreating in the Gospel of John. But the themes of Isaiah chapter 43 are as well present in the prologue of the Gospel of John. Note what comes to be in the Gospel of John. Jesus has come to his own. This is his own people, the Israelite Judean people. And the topic is about the coming to be of the children of God. Notice this in verse 12. All who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the authority to become children of God. Remember Isaiah chapter 43, how Yahweh would regather his sons and his daughters, the children of God. Could it be that Gentiles have misread the Gospel of John and didn't realize some of the Judaic Hebraic backgrounds that were being presented by the Gospel writer? In one of my other podcasts, it's podcast number 70 called The Greeks in John's Gospel Were Greek-Speaking Jews, Not Gentiles, I made the same point. Note who are the children of God in the Gospel of John. We saw that phrase there in the prologue, chapter 1, verse 12, that everyone who believed in his name had the power to become the children of God. That phrase only occurs one other time in this gospel, and it's when the author comments on the statement of the high priest that it's necessary for one person to die, that the whole nation 
not perish. And the author goes on to interpret this. He says, but he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Now, if you're a Jew or an Israelite reading that, you know who the children of God who are scattered abroad are. It's not Gentiles. The children of God who are scattered abroad are Israelites of the diaspora. Remember Isaiah chapter 43, where Yahweh said, I create Israel. I'm going to say to the north, to the south, to the east and the west, bring back my children, my sons and my daughters. And here in the Gospel of John, we see that through Jesus and who he is, the children of God who are scattered abroad are gathered into one. Oh, even that, quote, gathered into one statement has Israelite, not Gentile, overtones. As Yahweh promised to heal the division between Israelite and Judean kingdoms, the division that occurred after the death of Solomon, but the hope was for a reunification into one kingdom under the rule of a descendant of David. So try reading the Gospel of John in the context of the coming to be of God's Son, of God's chosen people, the people of Israel, who will be a testimony and a witness to who the one God, Yahweh, is. Let me suggest one other aspect of the formation of Israel. If you ask any religious Jews today, what's the most important thing through which Israel came to be and which Israel is maintained? Yes, of course, it's yud heh vav But the channel through which Israel came to be and through which Israel is maintained as a people is the Torah, the Word of God. Israel was formed came to be a nation, came to be a people. And Israel is preserved as a people and as a nation through God's Torah, through God's Word. This is why in the beginning was the Word. God used the Word, the human being, Jesus of Nazareth, to bring about the formation, the creation, the redemption and regathering into one, God's children, Israel. This is another way in which the Gospel of John is in agreement with the Synoptic Gospels. Commentators have been able to see in the Synoptic Gospels that Jesus is the focus or the instrument for the creation of the new Israel. For instance, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus, with the choice of 12 apostles, like the 12 sons of Jacob, Jesus goes up onto the mountain in the Sermon on the Mount, like Moses did on Mount Sinai as the mediator for the 12 tribes of Israel. Also, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus tells the 12 apostles they'll be seated on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, Jesus and the apostles are the beginning, the foundation of the new Israel, the Son of God. Jesus is the ideal Son of God, the ideal Israel. Think of Jesus' words to Mary Magdalene. As recorded in the Gospel of John, when he said, Go to my brothers and tell them, 
I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That's a declaration of Jesus' knowledge that he's the new Israel, the Son of God, and so are the apostles. So for some reason, commentators have been able to see in the synoptic gospels this emphasis on Jesus being the fulcrum through which the new Israel is created, but they've missed it in the Gospel of John. Perhaps in another podcast, we can look at ways in which the Gospel of John presents Jesus as the beginning of the new Israel. Like Israel of past times, Jesus is the unique Son of God to whom God gives glory. Jesus glorifies the Father like Israel. Jesus is the true vine in the Gospel of John, just like Israel was the vine in Old Testament metaphor. Jesus, like ancient Israel, is evidence for both other Jews and the Gentile world of who the true God is. God worked miracles through Israel. Likewise, God worked miracles through Jesus as evidence of who the one true God is, the Father. Now you might say, well, none of this happened. Jesus didn't regather the outcasts of Israel into one. Well, the Gospel of John is saying these things happened in sample and in symbol, just like the renewal of mankind happened in symbolic fashion with a real example the restoration of the lame being able to walk and the blind being able to see and the dead being raised were presented in sample form by signs so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God through whom this restoration comes. And when you read John chapter 12, when Jesus hears that these diaspora, quote-unquote, Greek Jews are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and coming to the temple, but they seek Jesus Bingo. Jesus realizes that God's plan for the regathering of the children of God, the people of Israel, until one is going to happen through Jesus. Now, which of these other creations does Jesus have a role in? God is always the creator. And for sure, Jesus has a role in some of these other creations and these renewals. The renewal of the creation itself, I think that one's a little more complicated because, yes, we saw Jesus speaking and the lame man walking or the dead being raised. But those are specifically for human beings. The renewal of life for human beings comes through Jesus Christ. But we can see that Jesus has a role in some creation event or events described in the scripture. The mistake that deity of Christ belief has made or Trinitarian belief has made, the mistake is to see the subordinate role that Jesus has in the coming to be of things or the creation accounts described in passages like Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and John chapter 1. And they misidentify that role, and they misidentify what creation is occurring, and they put Jesus literally back into the creation account of Genesis chapter 1 like I did as a Trinitarian. I did not understand that there are other creation events, new creations described in the Bible. Remember, redemption is new creation. 
I hope these ideas are helpful. Thanks for listening. If you have some thoughts, leave a comment on the Bill Schlegel YouTube channel or the One God Report Facebook group. Yishmau anavim ve yismahu. The humble will hear and rejoice.